Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> Franchise pros, stand the man, Paul Segretto. Time to show you the way of franchising today. World. My name is Paul Segreto, and this is Franchise Today. Stan, it looks like we're having the mm. same technical problems we were having last week. Can you hear me? I can hear you, Paul. I didn't hear you last week because I wasn't going to be here anyway, but from what it sounds like, um, we really need to do, do something a little bit different on this platform, Paul. It's starting to really yeah, get the best of us. Yeah, I think we do. As a matter of fact, we're, I, I think we even have problems getting our guest into the show today. Because I don't see him on the dashboard uh, either. I heard a lot of uh, just sitting on hold waiting for the queue. I mean, the music sounded like it was off pitch. And I don't know, there's something going on backstage. You've got the dashboard, not me. But hello, everybody out there in franchise world. This is Stan Friedman and Paul Segreto trying to figure out how to present an hour of a Franchise Today podcast when um, the platform that we presented to you on it has been continuously giving us week after week a lot of heartburn. I don't know, Paul. I think we need to find us a new home. Well, I'm going to try something that I haven't done before, uh, and I'm going to try reaching out to the guest directly. Uh, if you would, Stan, because I'm going to move off this for a second, if you would talk to the audience just for a minute, and let me see if I can bring him in. Sure enough, Paul. Well, a couple of things that I was going to mention today at the front of the house is, as Paul tries to uh, to get our guest into queue, well, a little bit about some birthdays again. We started this a couple of weeks ago just looking at how many birthdays in a week we could count up in franchising. And we've got a relatively long list again this week, starting with uh, Sandy Shoemaker celebrating today, along with Jen Halleck tomorrow, Catherine Rooks from Premium Franchise Brands, Jan Pro on Friday. A good friend of mine who was one of my mentors in franchising, very few of us today's world may know who he is, but he was one of my first bosses back in the day at ERA Real Estate, a guy named Mike Storn celebrates a birthday on Friday. And while most of you don't know who he is, I'll bet you all know who his daughter is because Hannah Storm has been one of my favorite sportscasters on ESPN for years. Birthday wishes also this week go out to Ann Rosenberg on Friday, uh, Paul D'Amico at NAFNAF for Sunday, this past Sunday, Nancy Estep Critchett celebrated last Sunday as well at Franchise Resales along with Heidi Ganahl, my good friend Danielle O'Neill from my days back at I-9 Sports, Will Auchinsloss at Bain & Company does a lot of work in franchising, celebrates his birthday, celebrated his birthday on the 9th, Rafael Alvarez, CEO of ATAX last Saturday, Doug Shadel at Rhino 7, another big week of early September birthdays in the world of franchising, Paul. Yep, and I do have uh, our guest on with us, and he's sitting in the wings right now, uh, so we'll be bringing Excellent. him on shortly. Stan, um, how were things in uh, Washington, D.C. last week? Washington, D.C. last week, Paul, was a, a really terrific show, showing and turnout I believe IFA said that this was a record turnout. I don't know if it's a record for all time for fan or if it's a recent record, but um, well-attended program. The focus remains the same on the same issues that we have brought up to the Hill year over year with the joint employment being out there in the lead. 
Um, we had the good fortune this year to have Kellyanne Conway from the Trump White House, uh, just a riveting speaker to the audience, talking about putting all the noise aside and just let's consider how much has happened in 18 months to benefit uh, the world of small business, uh, consumer confidence in investing in business, and especially franchising with so many of the regulations in the last eight years being unraveled over the last 18 months. And she pointed out that for every new regulation that the Trump White House has established over the last 18 years, count this, Paul, it, it's a, a 1 to 22 ratio. For every new regulation, 22 have been unraveled in, in its place. So um, I think small business is feeling that impact and feeling the good nature of confidence uh, in getting back into small business investment and business investment through franchising, of course, uh, takes the lead when it comes to small business and jobs growth in the U.S. A couple of other things that I wanted to point out on the front of the house today, Paul, was uh, I caught two, not one, but two notes on Subway that kind of made me raise my eyebrow a little bit. And I know that they've gone through some major leadership changes and uh, new CEO Trevor Haynes has a you know, an awfully large brand to try to reconfigure and reinvent. But I read that they were planning for a 9,000 store remodel a year ago, which seemed to me to be awfully aggressive. And as it turns out, they've not come anywhere near that with about 454 of their 44,000 stores around the world embracing uh, the new store design. And, and they've had to make an adjustment on how that's going to look and give options to the franchisees to opt into a, a, a redesigned light, if you will, um, to encourage some more of those stores in the coming year to, um, to take advantage of the new design and, and the increased sales that come along with it. The other thing that caught my eye that I thought was really questioning, I'm just questioning the judgment of this, is around the $5 foot long, which Subway is now making optional for all of the money and investment that's gone into the $5 foot long, that jingle that's embedded in your head, whether you even eat it somewhere or not, just from hearing it as often as we have, giving franchisees an option um, to offer this at the store level seems to me to be playing fast and loose with the brand and the consistency of, of customer experience. I don't know how you feel about that, Paul, but I, I don't know. It made it made yeah. me raise an eyebrow and wonder how smart that was. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, especially in the competitive and aggressive space as as sandwiches have become and continues to become, with the likes of you know new brands like John Smith Subs and Capriati's, you know, entering the uh, the space and gaining a lot of momentum, along with of course the other behemoths that are out there, the Jersey Mike's and the um, and the and the Jimmy Johns, and then of course you have so many other places, you know, offering sandwiches. I think Domino's has even has even rolled out a uh, a line of sandwiches, you know, for Subway to uh, to do what they're doing right now. Seems to be a little bit uh, off track, and I wish them well. I mean, just for the sake of the memory of a good friend of ours, Fred DeLuca. So, um, anyway, we'll see what happens. It'll be good to uh, to track that over the the coming months and and year ahead, and we'll see what what happens. Uh, Stan, before we get too far into the show, I do want to bring on, you know, today's guest. I know we had a, a little bit of a technical snafu 
at the beginning. It's Todd Jutralis, uh the uh, co-founder and CEO of MVS Pet Care. And, and Todd was quoted as saying previously, upon in earning their degree, veterinarians' options were limited to either working in a vet's office or animal hospital or starting their own brick-and-mortar practice, which is tough. They're typically overworked and underpaid. Todd, welcome to Franchise Today. Thanks so much for having me. And did I pronounce your last name correctly? Yes, Tia Trellis. Okay, great. Well, it's good to have you here today. And, you know, as we often uh, ask our guests, and, and, and it almost becomes uh, a standing joke as we just, you know, chuckle about it, you know, none of us uh, really enter franchising one day because we say, you know, I think we'll, we'll just get into franchising. Franchising, one way, shape, fashion, form seems to find us at some point. So if you would, tell us a little bit about, you know, you and that moment when you entered into franchising. And then I know you've had several uh, ventures in franchising. We'll talk a little bit about that as well. Sure. I think that um, I was doing um, really franchise consulting years and years ago, or actually more business consulting. And we were speaking with a lot of uh, individuals that were interested in buying different franchises and really didn't know how to go about doing it. Uh, They were a little leery of just listening to what the franchisor had to say. And we decided that we we launched a um, a franchise consulting uh, wing of of one of the companies that I I started, and it was really successful, and I really enjoyed it. And that was really my first foray into understanding the franchise world. So uh, we we really, um, you know, it's something that I'm real passionate about. Been doing it for many many years, and uh, um, luckily I've had some success in it. Hello? There we go. Sorry about that. Yes. So, Todd, uh, Stan Friedman here. Um, Welcome to Franchise Today. So, tell us a little bit about um, the formula. You've got a bit of a formula because you've gone in and out of a couple of brands that you've invested in as franchise concepts and had kind of found your way uh, in and out at the correct times. Talk a little bit about how that works for you and how you view franchising from that level. Yeah, I think that, um, again, I, I think trying to create some of the things that we've done is we've you know, created, uh, you know, brands that, you know, didn't exist before. You know, one of our uh, former concepts, flip-flop shops, you know, really there was no one doing a retail brand that, that just sold flip-flops. And um, started that back in, in 04 and then franchised it in 07 and uh, exited in 15. So I, I think that um, a lot of it is what, what, what I, I guess I try to perceive what the need is and what seems to really be hot and what's on people's minds and what people uh, seem to be talking about a lot and trying to take um, an approach of trying to fulfill that need and, and, and giving people an opportunity to um, do something that they're passionate about and that they love, but may not have the tools and skills to understand how to do on their own. So um, that's something that, you know, I think that we've been pretty successful in doing. And, you know, much like what we're doing right now with MBS Pet Care, uh, having, you know, really being the first franchise network of um, house call veterinarians and giving people the ability to, um, or veterinarians, the ability to have another avenue to be uh, a business owner without literally spending half a million to a million dollars. 
So let's talk about the, the business from the consumer's point of view. Um, I think the pet space, like child care space and like elder care and um, kids, you know, anything that has to do with families and pets are as much a member of the family as as anybody, at least they are in my household. And I know I speak for a great multitude of people who have that kind of passion for their pets. Um, we've seen a tremendous infusion of new business businesses that are pet centric, but they tend to gravitate toward the retail box or toward pet services. Um, how did this idea uh, mesh? How did this come to pass? And we're going to talk more about the some of the complexities uh, a little later in the program in terms of state regulatory state regulatory bodies that uh, don't necessarily allow ownership unless you are of that. We'll get to that later. And let's look at it first from the consumer's point of view and the value proposition. Where did you feel this uh, gap in the market uh, resonating from? And tell us a little bit more about how you've filled it. You know, there was, there was a big void. Um, you know, if you start looking at just either what Amazon has done and what um, a lot of the big big box uh, retailers have done, and everything's going to a delivery model. Uh, if you look at food, and uh, even Uber Eats and everything that's going on, everything's about convenience and delivery. And we just looked at this space. We said, there's no one doing this to help the consumer. You know, another big movement in the pet uh, industry right now is um, less stress for people's pets. And, you know, one of the most stressful things that happens for the consumer and for the pet is bringing their uh, dog or cat to the veterinarian. And that creates, um, you know, stress to the point of, there's been studies where people's, uh, where you know, the dogs or cats' heart rate goes up every time it goes to the veterinarian. And, you know, we looked at this and we said there's no really one in this space that's putting a network together to try to, um, <clears throat> to, try to give consumers the ability to be able to stay home or work from home and have their pet um, have a great visit with a veterinarian. And there's nothing less stressful than having the pet be right in his own setting at his own home. I think Paul is suffering from some technical difficulties again because he was coming oh, up okay. next with a follow-up question, so let's give him a moment to catch up with us. Sure, sure. Well, it looks like he's, he's locked out, so we're going to carry on. So, how does okay. the consumer how does a consumer learn about this when you approach the market and and are these are these pet calls that you're able to make um, are they serving those who have perhaps an an emergency as well as a um, scheduled maybe you know shots or a scheduled proactive kind of an appointment? How does that work? Yeah, sure. That's a great question. So we do our wellness visits. We, we won't do surgeries if it's a surgery or if it's a true 911 type of medical emergency. Obviously, people should call a, vet, a veterinary hospital. But um, <clears throat> so we can we schedule appointments out and we also leave appointments open um, daily for someone that could have um, maybe not so much an emergency, but just a concern whether a pet could be possibly throwing up or uh, lethargic and, you know, feel the need to get a veterinary into their home relatively quick. So <clears throat> that's, the, that's the piece where, you know, again, we're able to, to customize 
for our uh, for our clients to be able to come out and and really fit their needs. You know, and it's it's it works really well too with elderly people um, and people that don't may not have transportation. And you know, we're looking forward to getting to some of the markets too that are really urban, um, which we haven't penetrated yet. Uh, of course, we just launched in February, so. Um, I think that, you know, that's going to be really um, could be a game changer for us and for, for uh, consumers that don't have vehicles or, or again, live in, live in a space where it's very difficult to get around. So what does it look like when you roll up to a house? Are you, are you rolling up in a, in a van that's equipped or are you doing uh, the work that's done no, in, in, no. in the home itself or? Yep. Everything is done in the home. Um, We'll be we'll be rolling out. Um, uh, typically, it, it would be it's just an SUV um, with uh, um, with some supplies and some medical supplies and a, a laptop and a portable printer and a little scale. And you just bring that right into the home, and the and the, and the whole visit is done right in the home. So, you know, we didn't want to take the approach. And there are surgical units out there that pull up 20, 30 foot trucks. There's vans that pull up, but all those things are pulling the pet out of the home. We're going directly in the home and doing everything right there. I'm, I'm intrigued by this just from my own personal experience. Even when I go to my own veterinarian who I've been going to for, I don't know, 15 years, um, even when we go and we go into an examination room and maybe we are one of four or five um, people that are teed up in different rooms at the same time. But when the vet comes in, it's yep. always the vet taking, taking my dog to another room, taking my dog from me. And whether it's shots or whether it's some examination or they're drawing blood, whatever they're doing, they're not doing it in front of me. And to the point you made, I know I stress over that and I'm certain the animals, I never thought about it from the animal's point of view, but you raised that point today and it's a valid and viable point. Yeah, it really is. It really is a big difference. And, you know, when you when you ride along, and again, I'm not a veterinarian, and we were lucky to partner up with uh, Dr. Jeremy Gransky and his uh, his partner, John. And, you know, be in a situation where they, they've had 13 years of at-home veterinary experience. So, you know, one of the biggest things when we started riding along and really got interested in this space was going on in those visits and just seeing... Uh, how passionate people are about their pet. And, you know, people, we don't talk about pet ownership anymore. We talk about pet parents. And, you know, just having them in their environment and every single one of them always, especially the new patients, would say the same thing. Oh, my God, I love this. I, my cat or my dog gets so stressed out. And most of our visits also have their multi-pet homes. So, Think about that. You know, before where, oh, I don't want to bring my cat and dog together to the vet. It's too much for me to handle. We don't have to, they don't have to deal with that at all. We come in, we can handle two, three, four, five pets at once, and no one has to stress out about it. What does this look like from a consumer's point of view, from a pricing perspective? Is there a premium that the consumer is paying for the factor of convenience that you're weaving into their day? Absolutely, there is. There's, there's a house call visit fee, and you know that fee can range anywhere, and you know it, it will all depend on the market. Anywhere from uh, fifty dollars in the Boston area, we get a hundred and twenty dollar fee. 
Um, other than that, all the other pricing is the same as if you were to bring your vet, I mean, your pet right to the vet um, in a brick and mortar um, <clears throat> clinic. So, and how many? Extra, how many? Extra, no, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Carry on. Yes. Yes. So the extra fee is just the host call fee. Okay. And how many of these? How many of these locations are currently operating, and are they all in a? Are you confined geographically right now to the Northeast or the Boston or New England market? Yes, yeah, so our corporate partner one is, is right in Massachusetts, in Natick, Massachusetts, so a little um, west of Boston. And then we've, uh, we've come out really strong. We've sold, um, we've sold the rights to uh, Pennsylvania. We've got uh, two in Atlanta uh, market. Um, we just wrapped up, actually, we just signed it yesterday, um, the Las Vegas and Nevada market, so that will be four. And then we're um, hopefully by October 1st, we're going to be wrapping up the Florida territory and the 21 territory um, um, agreement. So we're really excited, and you know we've we've found that you know there's a lot of interest out there for people that want to either a uh, a veterinarian that wants to go on his own. Or from business people, because in specific states, as you stated earlier, uh, business people that then want to go hire veterinarians. So um, <clears throat> that's kind of a, that's that's where we're at right now. And again, we launched in February, so we're off to a real fast start. So tell us a little bit about a day in the life. What is it that a franchise e is going to be doing, assuming they're in a state where they're not necessarily the vet themselves? If, if they are the vet, we kind of get a pretty good idea of what they're day-to-day might look like, but what would a franchisee's role be above and beyond having that license that says Doctor of Veterinary Medicine? So uh, a franchisee that would be, say, a business person that would hire a veterinarian, do you mean? Right. Right. So, um, well, they'd also they'd obviously be responsible for hiring the veterinarian, making sure the licenses are in order. Um, they'd be responsible for taking inventory of all the products and the and drugs and vaccinations once a month. Um, we handle, corporate handles all the scheduling. Uh, we also handle all of the practice management software and all the record keeping. Uh, we do financial review. So the, the, the franchisee would be on the uh, phone with us once a month going over profit and loss statements. We'd be helping them with that, calling in payroll for, the, for their doctor. Um, we coordinate the marketing efforts with them, so they'd have to coordinate that with us also, uh, whether it be with Facebook or Google or any type of advertising strategy that they want to have locally. And those are really the top things that someone would have to do. Um, and then obviously, you know, doing their own ride-alongs with their veterinary partner uh, periodically to make sure that the standard of care is being met. So what is the unique value proposition that, other than the convenience that you bring? I'm trying to, trying to look at this through the eyes of somebody who's, who maybe is the Burger King behind the McDonald's or the Hardee's behind the Burger King behind the McDonald's, um, other than the convenience. What is the really strong value proposition that will make somebody wanting to just replicate what they see and what you're doing have a more difficult time than they may think? Well, I think that the relationships we have with the uh, all the brands uh, that are in this space and how I think how happy they are that we're doing something that's out of the box 
Um, I think that that's obviously difficult to replicate the, the, the best pricing that we got. Um, I think having a 13-year veterinarian be one of our co-founders and, and being part of the team and really you know, living and breathing house call practice for that long, uh, you know, the best practices that we have, I think, are unmatched in how to maximize profitability and how to give the animal and the consumer the best uh, available care and experience. So I think that, you know, that's a big piece of our strong value proposition. Um, and also having just in any franchise system, just having a, a strong, uh, you know, training manual and, and, and network of support to, uh, to make sure that our franchisees are very successful. And what was it that brought you and the, the doctor together in the first place? How, how did that come about? What, what was it that who sought out who and how did you, how did you find each other? So uh, when we had sold our former company, we wanted to get more into the service business. We did not want to jump back into retail. We felt like e-commerce was really starting to take a huge bite out of retail. Um, I'm a former, uh, actually, restaurant person, too. I was with Wendy's International for, for many years and just really didn't feel like jumping back into the restaurant space either. So we were really looking for what we thought could be really fill a need. And, you know, we looked at human health care actually for uh, for a bit of going back to the old school house call uh, doctors that you know would go right to people's homes and you know there's, there's, there's a lot of issues there with insurances and restrictions and um, malpractice insurances that are really really high and you know that that conversation kind of morphed into you know let's take a look at the pet space and it was starting to grow and, and have a lot of traction and at that point, you know, we realized, okay, we, we have to try to find a veterinarian that, believe, that has a lot of the same beliefs that we do from a business standpoint and someone that's been doing this for a long time. And we were really, really fortunate that actually my partner Ashley found John and Jeremy that were only 15 minutes away. I mean, we talked to doctors throughout the country uh, in, in many different states that have been doing this. And we were really trying to um, – you know, to, to match up with the right individuals that we thought um, could could see our vision. And, again, we were lucky enough to, to stumble on, on John and Jeremy locally, and um, it was, the, you know, the, the best thing that ever happened. And they helped us create a program. They gave us all the pain points from a consumer standpoint, and um, they've been great uh, partners and, and obviously um, very strong uh, co-founders of this concept. When we come back from our break, we're going to talk more about the franchise side of the business and, and a little bit more about the team that you've assembled. And it looks to me from my research that you've got a team, a core team of executives that have been together and succeeding uh, not once, not twice, but maybe the third time now. And we're going to talk more about some of those people and the roles that they play in your organization. I'm going to remind the audience, too, that Paul has not abandoned us. He's just been silenced. <laughs> by a technology problem. Um, he is out there and listening with us. He just can't talk to us. And so I will accept thank you emails from anyone who wants to send those to me. Um, and then you can send Paul the emails that tell him how horrible it was of him to do that to you and make you listen to me for an hour today as we continue to interview our guest. You're listening to Franchise Today now in its ninth season. I'm Stan Friedman, and Paul is here, just not able to communicate. But we are talking today with Todd Giatrellis, 
serial entrepreneur, founder, and franchisor of MVS Pet Care. Franchise Today is brought to you by the Franchise Foundry, where Paul and his team bring emerging brands to market and have been doing so for more than 30 years. The Foundry fosters healthy, sustainable growth for their clients, the kind that comes from experience. The Franchise Foundry provides both coaching and consulting, a hybrid approach that delivers more effective solutions for both the franchisor's corporate team as well as for their franchisees. The Franchise Foundry team is rich in practical hands-on experience and expertise with general business management, operational and change management, digital marketing, and of course, franchise recruitment and development. Plus, the Foundry team can also assist with creating roadmaps for potential mergers and acquisitions and providing the kind of guidance you'll need to navigate them. Learn more about Paul Segreto and the Franchise Foundry and their expanding list of clients at www.franchisefoundry.com. Franchise Today is also brought to you by FRM Solutions, offering best-in-class CRM and document management software designed specifically for franchising. FRM empowers real-time business intelligence, communication, and collaboration between all members of the franchisor's team and perspective as well as existing franchisees. This enables you to simply and seamlessly track, access, and manage all messages to and from perspective and existing franchisees, including text. Legal and compliance is simplified too. With FRM's document management and even site visits can be digitally facilitated and scored with FRM. Make today the day you give FRM a look and assure that all of your candidate and franchisee correspondence, including texts, are being permanently tracked and stored in candidate and franchisee records. FRM even provides state-of-the-art digital experiences for your prospective franchisee, replacing old-style virtual brochures. No long-term contracts, multiple upgrades each year at no additional cost, no excuses, just solutions on the web at frmsolutions.com. So, Todd, I'm going to thank you, too, for putting up with one interviewer today instead of a tag team, as most in the audience know that Paul Paul is in Houston. I'm here in Atlanta, and um, and you're up there in Boston. And so what we usually do, Paul and I, is communicate backstage via Skype or text messaging to each other so that we typically don't step on top of one another with who's going to ask the next question. Today, that didn't work out because I was expecting Paul to come in and ask a next question, and we had that deafening silence. So a little bit of technical difficulty, but we appreciate you uh, bearing with that and staying with us. So I'm going to tell you that our audience is, for the most part, used to hearing us talking to executives of brands that have been around a lot longer than this one has and to more established and mature concepts or to the executives from more established or mature concepts. What intrigued Paul and me about you, Todd, is that while this is a young brand, it's a young brand that has a seasoned team of success that has, um, that has been part of your executive careers for a number of years. So other than uh, Doctors Gransky, the, I'm assuming maybe their brothers, um, Jeremy and John? Uh, uh, they're they're uh, married. Okay, thank you for clarifying that. Bad assumption on my part. Um, but other than the, the brothers or the, or the Gransky's, the veterinarian side of the business, 
we've got a professional team that is led by you as CEO, and we've got Sarah Town as your president, um, and Ashley, Lisa, others on the team that seem to have all come from this uh, sugar plum franchising world. So tell us a little bit about the infrastructure and what it is that your corporate team delivers to a prospective franchisee. And then let's talk a little bit about who that prospective franchisee is and should be and how they find out more about this opportunity. Sure. So, yeah, I, we've got a great team. It's been, um, been together for a long time. Sarah started flip-flops with, shops with me in 04 and worked for my other company, the consulting company, for a couple of years before that. So um, we've been together for 16 years. Ashley Schumacora, our COO, has been with us from the flip-flop shop days, um, and <clears throat> she's been with us uh, for about 10 years. And uh, Lisa Davis has been with us for five years. So, you know, they're, they're all people that have been part of, you know, not just the flip-flop concept, but uh, the sugar plum concept and, you know, now the MVS concept. So I think that everyone's got a, you know, a different skill set and, and, and bring something unique. I think um, obviously a lot of our strengths are in training and um, in support and in any good franchise system, I really believe, and we all believe that's what it really comes down to. You know, how, how well you're going to support the franchisees. Um, are they going to be trained properly? Are they going to be given the tools to succeed? And are they going to have a formula that works? Excuse me. And, you know, we think that we've got the right team in place to execute on all those fronts, and we think we have the right formula to make people really successful. So, you know, we feel like it's, a, it's, it's, it's an intriguing value proposition for veterinarians and for business people that may want to hire veterinarians. And um, we think that, uh, you know, it's something that, you know, uh, hopefully people are as passionate about as we are. Tell me a little bit about the veterinarian. Um, I know that there are a great many doctors who have turned businesses, the business of their practices, over to professionally managed organizations because the medical profession has, as we all know, become riddled with so much administrative and regulatory and administrative work that it's become almost impossible for a physician who is an altruist to get into practice and make people healthy, run the business of medicine. Does veterinary medicine kind of run that same parallel, or is it a little bit easier in the veterinary world? No, I think it runs the same parallel. I think um, I can only speak about the house call business. I don't have experience in the brick and mortar business other than you know what we've read and researched. And obviously, Dr. Gransky started out in the brick and mortar practice, so what we've learned from him. But I, I think that the complexities are very similar. Um, this is very similar to human health care. And I would say the only caveat is the insurance piece. I think that um, insurance on the human side is, is very difficult um, to deal with from um, – uh, regular regulations and for the amount of money you can charge uh, specifically um, some of the patients where well, I don't feel like you have that issue in um, in the veterinary space but I think the complexities of you know you're still running the system you still need you know good practice management you still need those tools to succeed um, you still need to have the ability to reach out to the uh, to the patients being the pets so the pet owners and you know, walk them through processes and, and have them have the ability to be able to take a look at their records and see exactly what's going on with their pet. 
So, you know, it is really similar to human health care. Um, and we just feel like um, we just like this space, you know, really, frankly, a little better than, than, uh, than the human side. Um, but we do feel like um, there is a lot of crossover between the two. And what does it look like from an investment perspective and what kinds of offerings are you providing? Are you looking for a single unit? Are you looking for a multi-unit or area development? What kind of, what kind of offerings are, are available? Sure. So if you are a, um, so, you know, from a veterinary standpoint, we're, we're, we're targeting really people that could possibly uh, already have a at-home business that may not be doing as well as they want it to do because they don't have the infrastructure to really, um, to really take it to the next level. Um, or people that are in brick and mortar that want to have a, a, what we believe is a much better quality of life and have the flexibility to have, to be, uh, to have ownership and be their own, uh, their own boss under the franchise system. From a business standpoint, we're looking, we're targeting more people that have the funding and the ability to launch uh, in specific areas. Like, you know, the individuals we're talking to uh, in Florida would take the whole state of Florida. Um, Nevada, they took the whole state of Nevada. Pennsylvania, they took the whole state. So, you know, and these are all business people that have the ability um, to put the right people in place and then to launch in those specific regions. So, you know, that's something we're taking a look at. We're taking a look at uh, trying to find a partner in Texas to do what we're going to do in Florida. Um, and then um, you know, we, we're, we're just, uh, speaking with someone um, or we will be speaking with um, someone that's interested in Manhattan uh, once we have our registration all set up in, uh, in New York City. Um, so, you know, those are really the, the, the people that we're targeting to help us roll this out. Um, you know, and I think that we've done concepts before where there's been a lot of onesies, twosies. But what we found here is that we're attracting, I think, a different caliber of investor an individual that wants to be um, involved in this on a much larger scale. And so would that be the primary or would, would somebody from the other end of the spectrum also be able to participate at a, not a statewide or even citywide, but at a unit level? Sure. Sure. Um, whether they're a veter- uh, in, in a veterinary space or whether it's a business person, um, there's uh, territories that they can certainly um, just buy one. Uh, our franchise fee is $25,000. It's probably another $25,000 uh, to get up and running. So really, for an investment of $50,000, you could launch a territory. So you know, we feel great about that. We feel great about you know what what their ability is to get a return on that money, and and it sure beats spending half a million dollars to try to launch a brick and mortar practice. For sure, I would agree. And so, how are you going about finding candidates? Are you are you reaching out to veterinarians across the country as your primary? And how many states was it again? I I remember a statistic that was either 15 states require veterinarians to own the franchise or there are 15 states that don't i don't remember which way that ran yeah so it's 15 states that don't um and then the other ones um you have to have uh, a veterinarian that is a partner in the business um with you and you can set up the corporation that way so you know really you could you could 
generally go into every state, but you'd have to have a lead um, medical director or a veterinarian be an actual partner in those other states beyond the 15. So <clears throat> that's, that's kind of the way, um, that's kind of the way that works. But um, it, it really, you know, it, it's, it's, it, it still leads to having, uh, you know, plenty of territories in the country. Uh, there's still, there's plenty of territories for people that um, may not want to partner up with a veterinarian that may be business person that wants to uh, be involved. You mentioned training earlier as one of the big differentiators. Can you tell us a little bit about the training program, how long it lasts, how many people involved, and and how hands-on that program looks from your perspective? Sure, sure. So um, first thing is you, you come to uh, train in Boston, in the Boston area. Um, you would ride along with Dr. Gransky for the week. Um, you would have uh, about five days of um, of book training or classroom training also. So you'd ride around with, um, with the doctor and then you'd, you'd go to your classroom. Uh, in, the tra- in the training, you'll, you'll be trained on, um, you know, again, a, a veterinarian is going to be trained on how to be a vet, but they're going to be trained on how to be a great house call or at-home veterinarian by Dr. Gransky. Um, John Gransky will help with all the practice management training. We use um, we use a, uh, a software called EVET, which is cloud-based, so it's really great. People, you can look at it from anywhere, obviously, in the country, as long as you have a computer. And then uh, a lot of the other um, actual franchise training on how to run a successful franchise, the financial pieces of it, the marketing pieces. Um, really, everyone on our team is involved in, in a piece of that. So by the time you leave here, you're going to, you're going to know how to be successful in an at-home practice. You're going to know the backbones of it uh, from a franchise standpoint. And then we're going to go on site with you when you when you launch for the first week and ride along with you for that first week to make sure that everything is running smoothly and any other questions are answered. Terrific. Is there any place that you would direct our audience to other than the the website other places that people can find out more find out about the accreditation find out some of the particulars that are a part of this uh, this business which to me seems so unique typically we know that people who are out in search of a franchise if they're looking at child care or if they're looking at children's services or almost anything brick and mortar, they're usually looking three or four deep within that segment of the market at uh, multiple brands in the same space, whereas here I don't think there are that many in this space. So um, how do people find out more? How do, they, how do they get their head around what it is you're offering beyond your own website? Yeah, so, I mean, they could, they could do research on it, uh, American Veterinary Association, um, they could they could go to um, they could just Google that and uh, and, and pull up that um, every state has their own regulations and has some information um, about veterinary practice so people can go to their local state and look that up and you know I would say that you know that plus obviously our website is the best place to start to get all the information that someone would need and then obviously any questions that they may have whether you know that state is a state that they can practice in without having a veterinary uh, person on board or whether it isn't or any, anything else that they may be um, unsure of, they can obviously reach out to me personally.
I've just sent Paul a text asking if he has any last questions before I ask you the same. And Todd, I wonder if, if there's anything that that we didn't ask you today that you'd like to share with the audience as a, a, a last opportunity to to bring that to us now, and um, and and tell us if there's anything that you'd like me to ask that I didn't. Uh, this is your moment. Yeah, I would just just say some of the statistics I think are staggering. I think that the industry uh, is is about a sixty five billion dollar industry. Um, you know, typical uh, household has two point two pets. And, um, you know, there's about uh, 4,000 graduates every year from veterinary school. So, you know, when you really look at what's happening uh, in the industry and the growth uh, of the industry, we really believe that the timing of what we're doing is perfect. Terrific. The website is um, www.m like Mary, v like Victor, s like Stan, MVS Pet Care. Dot com. We've been speaking this hour with Todd Giatrellis, CEO of MVS Pet Care, and uh, we want to thank you, Todd, for bringing our audience um, a look into a space that is relatively new and, um, and relatively uncrowded and could be an early stage opportunity for, uh, for those with and without medical background or um, veterinary background to learn more about depending upon where it is in the country that their level of interest would would bring them. Um, thanks again, Todd, and thank you to your team. And we look forward to keeping an eye on your growth and, and seeing how your brand rolls out over time and um, hopefully meeting you on the trail someplace at an upcoming franchise expo or, or conference. Well, thank you very much for having me. Please uh, tell Paul I say goodbye also, and uh, anything ever arises or any questions ever come up, you can reach me directly at Todd at T-O-D-D at MVSPetCare.com. We, we appreciate it, Todd, and Paul is listening. Um, he's communicating with me. He's just doing it by text. So he thanks okay. you as well, and our apologies to you for the bit of the technical difficulty, but uh, you did a great job of, of staying with us through a tough time, and we appreciate that as well. Anytime, guys. And that's a wrap on another interview of, uh, you know, we're being tested here every week. I'm going to speak for both Paul and me right now. And, and um, you know, this platform that we present this programming on, Block Talk Radio, has been a great place for us for a great long time. I mean, for Paul, for nine years. And, um, and we're just going to try to figure it out and thank you, the audience, for continuing to hang with us as we've had week after week of some type of technical challenge that has gotten in the way of presenting a clean program to you. But we're going to keep trying, and we'll do what you need to do in life is keep trying until you get it right. Next week, we are joined by Andrew and Chris McQuiston. Uh, Andrew is the president, and his brother Chris is the CEO and co-founder of Goldfish Swim Schools. And hopefully, in the, in the space of six or seven days between uh, now and next week, we'll have more and more of these technical problems figured out and behind us. Until then, I'm Stan Friedman, wishing you the best, the very best of all things franchising, and Franchise Today is out. <laughs>